Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so remarkably grateful for who you are. And we're so remarkably grateful for all the many ways in which you have made yourself known to us. And Lord, we're thankful that you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, Lord, in that context, in your presence, surrounded by your love and by your Holy Spirit, we look now to your word. And we pray, Lord, oh, we pray that you would allow us to lay aside all distraction and to focus on what you would say to each of us today. Lord, we know that you will meet us right where we are. So let us focus our hearts and our minds on you as you speak to us, as you challenge us, as you change us. Make us more like Jesus, for it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've read about it yet or seen anything about it yet, but on Wednesday, right here in Kentucky, something remarkable happened, and it's still happening today. The students of Asbury University gathered for chapel on Wednesday morning, and that chapel service hasn't ended yet. You say, well, that sounds like something I might have heard before. The same sort of thing happened in February of 1970. There is a revival movement where God is moving mightily among people's lives, and it's there in Wilmore, Kentucky. And they strategically put Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, because literally it's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around it. It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. But those students gathered, and, and, and what is happening is a time of worship, a time of prayer, confession of sin, repentance, people humbling themselves before Almighty God, and it's just kept going. And people are going to it. Parents started going just to see what was going on. People from other colleges, people from other areas went just to see what was going on. I have friends who've gone multiple times and have sent videos of of the massive movement of God that's happening in a little chapel at a little university in a little town right here in Kentucky. In fact, the world has taken notice What is God doing? Well, he's calling his people back to himself. That's what revival is. Revival's not lost people getting saved. That's awakening. Revival results in awakening. But revival is what happens when those who have been vived, those who've been made alive in Jesus Christ, are stirred up by his spirit to worship him. There are a few things that always accompany revival. Number one, there is a high view of the Word of God and submission and surrender to to Almighty God through Jesus Christ. And there's always confession of sin and repentance or to turn away from those things that take me far from you, to turn away from those things that separate me, even even in the context of my relationship, that build distance between me and you, God. I lay those aside because I want more of you. That's what's happening in Wilmore right now. People are saying, God, I want more of you. So I'm willing to lay aside the things that distract me from you. I'm willing to lay aside the things that, that, that put distance in my relationship between me and you and say, God, you're God. And I surrender myself to you. In 1970, when this happened, after the revival meeting had come to an end, in other words, they they didn't meet continuously hour upon hour, several students from Asbury went to universities all across the country 
And they spoke and they shared their testimony of what God had done in their hearts and what God had done collectively among the hearts of those in Wilmore, Kentucky. And that led to revival happening at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary all the way in Fort Worth, Texas. It led to revival happening at Wheaton College all the way in Chicago, Illinois. It led to revival happening all over the place because what happened? The powerful story of what God is willing to do in the hearts and minds and lives of believers spreads. And there are some people who say, I want that. I want that for me. I want that for us. Well, I'll tell you, there's been a lot of us who've been praying for revival in our region, praying for revival in our city, praying for revival in our church. We've been doing it for a while. God, move among us as only you can. Compel us to return. Compel us to repent. Compel us, Lord, to trust and follow you like never before. And let it spread out so that others might benefit from your movement in our lives. Let that revival become an awakening. During the Great Awakening in the, seventh, in the 18th century, God did such a work in our nation that 15% of the country got saved. What would happen in the United States of America if 15% of our country turned in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ today? Is it possible? You know, Jonathan Edwards, who was the great revival preacher during the Great Awakening up there in New England, he said that the attention of the country had turned away from God. This was in the 17, 18th century. I had to do math in my head. Even then, they had turned away. Have we turned away from God? Collectively, of course we have. We don't need you, Lord. We've got this figured out. See, we've advanced. We're not where we used to be. Well, we've advanced all right, but has it been in a Godward direction? Has it been in a healthy direction? Has it been in a life-giving direction? I believe God wants to do a great work, but I'm going to tell you, it's the song we sing. We sing at Christmas time, let there be peace on earth and let it begin where? With me. We say as a community of Christ, let there be revival and let it begin where? With me. So revival is a heart issue. And it comes when people, God's people, open their hearts to him. Well, it's no accident that as God is moving right here in Kentucky and the eyes of the world are turning to Wilmore, Kentucky, that God has sent us to a passage that will challenge all of us, to a topic that will challenge all of us. We're going to talk about giving today. And giving is a heart issue. Now, let me remind you, I don't know what anybody in this church gives whose last name is not Reynolds and who doesn't live in my house. So if you feel like the preacher stepping on your toes, know that it is only possible for the preacher to step on his own toes, his wife's toes, and his children's toes today, because those are the only people I know what they give. So if your toes are hurting after this, that's between you and the Lord. Take it up with him, because I don't know what you do. We talk about the fact that God has given to all of us gifts and talents and abilities and resources, and he, he calls us to use a portion of that which he's entrusted to our care, to worship him, to serve him, to be, a, to be a difference maker for good in the world. And part of that is giving financially. And let me just tell you this, and, and I, let me say this not as the pastor of First Baptist Church. 
who is very self-consciously in this moment a TV preacher. It has been done wrong many times. I'm not asking anybody to sow some sort of seed so I can order an airplane. I don't need an airplane. I can fly a coach. I'm not telling you that if you give money to God, you'll get rich. It's not promised by God. But what I'm telling you is God wants you to trust him and love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And all the ways that we exhibit strength in 2023 is with our checkbook or a bank ca- card or whatever it is you have now, your phone that you scan. So we love God with every part of who we are. So I want to give you this theme today. My faith will grow as I give generously day by day. My faith will grow as I give generously day by day. I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're in the Red Pew Bible here in the room, that's page 968. Page 968. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. And again, my faith will grow as I give generously day by day. The Apostle Paul is writing as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing to the church at Corinth. And he says in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Our first point today is this, give bountifully, not sparingly. Give bountifully, not sparingly. God calls us to give to him not as a tip out of our abundance, but as a gift out of our essence. God calls us to give as those who understand that he is the greatest thing ever and that everything we have belongs to him anyway. And he calls us to give back a portion of that which he has entrusted to our care. It's an act of worship. It's an act of worship where we say, God, I'm going to give generously, I'm going to give bountifully, I'm going to give even sacrificially for your purposes to to be accomplished and for your glory to be magnified. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul had written, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul talks about the the grace of God expressed through the churches of Macedonia who gave according to their means and even then beyond what their means might dictate because they trusted God and wanted to make sure that his ministry could happen. An unwillingness to give is rooted, Jesus would tell us, in a divided heart. And God wants our devotion to him to be pure. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13, that one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful to the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, 
you got to have one Lord. And as we've said, this is a challenge I give myself all the time. Who's the Lord of my life? Well, I can check two places and tell you. I can look in my calendar, and I can look at my bank account. That'll tell me. Who's the Lord of my life? Where am I investing time? Where am I investing resource? What matters most to me? God says to sow bountifully into his kingdom, and he says that we will reap bountifully from his kingdom. Now, that may include material things, but more often than that, it includes things that are so much richer than mere material wealth. In Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. In Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25, it says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So God tells us to give bountifully, not sparingly. But now look at verse 7. Each one must give, pardon me, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Our second point, give cheerfully, not reluctantly. Give cheerfully, not reluctantly. Paul is specifically discussing receiving an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem. And he had previously in 2 Corinthians 9 said, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and to arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Scott Haffman, a professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, says the word translated willing gift can also mean blessing. Literally, the collection is to be a response to God's grace in their lives, not something coerced by fear of judgment. In other words, God wants us to give not out of, uh, of a sense necessarily of duty, but out of an overflowing heart of praise, giving cheerfully, for he loves a cheerful giver. I'm wearing my red tie today. Y'all know why. Today's February the 12th. What's in two days? Valentine's Day. That's right. We got a lot of red in the congregation today. Well, I've got a wife. Y'all know that. We've been married for a lot of years, going up on 18. That's a long time now. Isn't that something? Our marriage can almost vote. <clears throat> well, what if on Tuesday I come to her with a big old bunch of flowers and some candy and maybe something made of gold? I'm not doing all that, but what if I did, you know? <laughs> what if I came to her with this wonderful, bountiful gift to give to her on Valentine's Day and I said, well, I knew if I didn't do this, you'd lose your mind. So here, happy Valentine's Day. Ladies, DJ's over there nodding. DJ, you're getting ready to be a husband. Don't nod at that, okay? That is not an amen moment. That will not cause your first married Valentine's Day next year to go well. Or what if I go, I love you so much, and this gift is just a small expression of my love for you. Which one's better? Well, the second one by far. Again, gentlemen, don't follow the first one. It won't end well. Well, God wants the same thing. 
Don Whitney in his Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life said, one man said there are three kinds of giving, grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. Grudge giving says, I have to. Duty giving says, I ought to. Thanksgiving says, I want to. God wants us to enjoy giving. He wants us to give generously. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, if you'll allow him to stretch you in this, you may be hesitant at first, but if you will obey him and allow him to stretch you in this and obey in that giving, I'm telling you, there's a strange joy that comes with it because you recognize that you are now living more of your life in surrender to Almighty God, trusting Him, trusting that He will supply your needs, trusting that He will take care of everything you need, worshiping Him with more of who you are, because that's really what it is. There's an old adage among preachers, you learn it at seminary, that the last part of any person to get saved is their pocketbook. There's a lot of sad truth to that. Lord, I'll give you my worship. I'll give you my heart. I'll give you some time. I'll give you my soul. I'll entrust my eternity with you. But I don't know about the money. I need to do some things first. just want to encourage you. Give cheerfully, not reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8. Well, my page has turned. Did that happen to you all? Now, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Our third point, give generously as one who is supplied by God. Give generously as one who is supplied by God. You know, the Bible teaches us that God's people are supplied by His gracious provision. And our generous God calls us to be generous. One of our church members, whose name I won't tell you, um, but told me and has told me multiple times that they have learned that you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. You remember the story of Elijah and the widow at Zarephath when Elijah came to her and there was a drought and she was out gathering sticks to, to make a meal for she and her son. And, and Elijah said, would you bring me some water and, and would you make me just a little morsel of bread, just a little cake of bread so that I could have something to eat? And, and she told Elijah, she said, I can't. I've only got a tiny amount of flour left in the jar, only a tiny amount of oil. I'm gathering sticks so I can make a small cake for me and my son, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die because that's it. And Elijah said, make me a cake, bring me some water, and God will take care of your need. And what happened? Well, the Bible says that she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Or you remember that woman that Jesus told us about there in the temple as they were giving their offering. And giving your offering could be a very showy thing in those days, 
people would come and put in large sums of money, and, and frankly, they would make a show of it. But Jesus was there in the temple, and he noticed as the rich were putting their gifts into the offering, this is Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, that he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. She gave trusting that God would supply her need, and God did. Paul received a gift from Philippi. They gave to him. He said, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. You notice the recurring theme? God takes care of our needs. The only church member I'm quoting this week uh, is David Tooley because he's our executive pastor. And you should expect that your church staff tithes. We expect that. You should expect that. Uh, I wondered if when I was growing up, if the preacher gave or just, just took the offering plate home with him. No, no, no. We give. I give. I promise you, just like you, this is not you and I'm the recipient. This is us together giving to Almighty God. But David said this, tithing has never left us unable to meet our own needs. Trusting and honoring God by tithing off the top of our income has been our practice for 25 plus years of marriage and has consistently provided us the joy that comes with giving and allowed us many opportunities to see God provide for our needs in generous and unexpected ways. Don Whitney said, your giving can be and is a tangible indication of how much faith you have that God will provide for your needs. God calls us to give to him. And he promises that he will take care of our needs. And he does. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Our fourth point, give for the glory of God. Give for the glory of God. See, what happens when we give is that ministry can happen. You know, within our context of First Baptist Church here at the corner of 12th and Chestnut, we have 150,000 square feet. You know what we've learned? BGMU will not take prayers as payment. They just won't. We've had to contract with, with a group to over, overhaul our lighting, overhaul our HVAC, and, and we offered a Bible verse as remuneration for that investment. And they wouldn't take it, would they, Charles? We asked. They needed money. So th there's, there's a real aspect of giving where we have to fund what God is doing uh, among us by giving collectively, and, and God is gracious, and God takes those gifts, and he multiplies them, and, and it's unbelievable. But when we give, 
ministry can happen. So we all enjoy and are beneficiaries of the ministry, and so we ought to give faithfully to God so that he might use those gifts for the ministry. When we give to missions, you know, it won't be long, we'll be taking up the Annie, offer, Annie Armstrong Easter offering to give to North American missionaries. Every Christmas, we take up the Lottie Moon offering to give to, to missionaries all around the world. In September, we take up the Eliza Broadus offering to give to missionaries in Kentucky. We give to the Sunrise Children's Services. We contribute to Hope House and Refuge BG and Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And there's just so many things that we as a church collectively give to. And, and when we do that, that allows ministry to happen for lives to be changed. When we give to parachurch ministries, that, that allows ministry to happen that's God working through his people to accomplish his purposes. And you think about the number of lives that are changed as all that happens. So when we give, ministry happens and God is glorified. And so again, I'll tell you, I have no idea what you give. Don't, I don't want to know. I know what I give. I know what my family gives. But it's between us and God. But I'll, I'll just tell you from me, my perspective of me, is I don't want to stand before God and say, Lord, you have been so remarkably good to me, and I have been so remarkably stingy with everything you entrusted to my care. I don't want to do that. But even beyond that, I don't want to stand before God and say, Lord, I just had other priorities. My love for you was important, but I had some other things that were priorities for me. I don't want to do that. Just like I don't want to stand in front of my wife on Tuesday and say, here, take it, you're welcome. Is that fair enough? We started our, our message by talking about the revival at Wilmore, and I'll tell you, revival is always a heart issue. Always. 100% of the time, it's a heart issue. Will I soften my heart before God? Will I open my heart to the movement of God? But you know what is also a heart issue? Giving. Will I soften my heart before God? Will I open my heart to the movement of God? Will I be faithful with what he's entrusted to my care? That includes money. That includes gifts and talents and abilities. Will I be faithful, giving cheerfully, for God indeed loves a cheerful giver. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.